Hi, everybody, and welcome to the Health Tech Pigeon podcast, where we take a deep dive into the week's health tech news and views so you don't have to. I'm Hugh Penson, and today I'm joined by Somex's Jessica Smith, and we're having a look at the news. Jessica, how's your week been? What have you been thinking about? My week has been great, mainly because I have yet to work a full working week in 2024. So that's definitely a bonus. And uh, it appears that it may be several weeks yet before I do. So sorry, colleagues, don't mean to gloat. Um, but we had a great week catching up as a team, which was lovely. We had meet up yesterday Jess on our team put a call out to the health tech community and um yeah there was 25 of us that got together down in Southwark last night which was really fun um it's also worth saying that we are leveling up on the health tech pigeon podcast because we are joined by producer Adma who is putting us through our paces and has already made us practice what we were going to say today and so the quality is going to be on point so thank you producer Adma for holding us to a high standard and really making us work for it this week we needed that third time lucky hey Hugh absolutely <laughs> how has your week been my week has been great. I'm really sad to have missed that uh, missed that health tech meetup, but I'm sure there'll be another one really soon. And I'm really looking forward to meeting more people and getting getting really even more stuck in. And uh, as you say, the level of professionalism is going to go up on this podcast, particularly that silence that you can hear uh, is uh, Adam just taking those those levels up and making us do a much better job. We have a really exciting uh, set of stories this week to talk about, and they all run along on a quite an exciting uh, theme. But I think let's uh, let's kick off with story number one, shall we? Our first story is from Sifted's Kai Nicole Schwartz. Uh, it's digital health startups are running out of cash. Fire sales are expected. Now, this uh, obviously taps into. A feeling that I'm sure a lot of um, founders and startups and teams are feeling at the moment. Um, but we're, we're seeing a, a lot of challenges after, you know, from 2023 after some sort of fairly positive outcomes for obvious reasons from 2020 and 2021. Jessica, tell me, tell me what your uh, views are on this and perhaps run us through the story. Yeah. So it's a super interesting one. And on the face of it, it's quite doom and gloom. And I think. Kai's done a really good job there of kind of maybe poking the bear, poking the bear, because I think we all want to come into the new year full of energy, optimism, excitement, especially off the back of last year being a real grind. It was it was a hustle. And I think most of us in the space are pragmatic enough to realise that um, the clock striking 12 on uh, the 31st of December slash 1st of January is not enough to significantly change that. That there, There's a lot that, you know, needs to happen before we start seeing any kind of uptick. But I'm surprised that the data is showing just how little investment there was and yes, of course, there is a huge drop off the back of 2021. But the one thing that really stuck out, stuck out to me here was about, it talks about how M&A is a last resort. And that is really surprising to me because I know that we get really hyped about the potential of IPO, but there are obviously some real cautionary tales. Uh, and and Kai talks about that, you know, but the Babylons of the world, 
where it did come crashing down. It didn't work out. And I think, you know, I would have thought that by now it's quite obvious that as an industry, IPO is not going to be realistic for many companies, but that's not that's not a bad thing, I don't think. It's not had good outcomes for the companies in this space who have shot for it. But so surely M&A is a great alternative to that. And if we start building companies with that that as a goal in mind rather than IPO, then maybe that helps us to think differently about our approach to business models and commercialization and timelines and all of those kinds of things. And I appreciate that maybe you know, the, 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 it doesn't feel quite as sexy as an IPO and the payouts aren't going to be quite so big. But I think, I, f- I find that as a concept really interesting and quite exciting. Um, and I think as well, given that we had this huge boom where lots and lots of companies were popping up, lots of companies doing very similar things. I think, you know, we're all too aware that there's been this sort of period of consolidation where companies have either ceased to function or they have had to consolidate and maybe join forces, collaborate. And actually, I think that as an industry in the medium to long term, is going to make us much stronger because we have stronger players. We're uniting the talent. We're uniting that strength. And, you know, Kai talks about that kind of overhype of digital health that, that came up around that time. And I guess now this means that we can kind of redress that balance. But I guess the, the flip side of that as well is that since we came back in January, we've been reporting weekly on some really impressive raises, the UK, US, all around the world. And I mean, this week, who have we got? Akurai, who raised uh, $4.5 million for their heart monitoring device. And then Cardio Signal, who raised a 10 million Series A for their heart disease detection using a smartphone. I know that's only two. That's only a drop in the ocean. But I've seen probably more in the past couple of weeks than I have maybe in the past few months, appreciating that what we're seeing announced now was probably closed in kind of Q3, Q4 last year. So I do I do get that. And, you know, we're, we'll still be waiting for the data to come through from the back end of last year and, and some of those raises as well. So I think it's probably quite difficult to draw any accurate conclusions but, you know, I think what Kai is talking about is some really interesting indicators, but I don't think it has to spell doom and gloom, personally. And, you know, again, like coming back to uh, M&A, this week we're talking about General Catalyst declaring their intention to acquire Summer Health. Um, that's an awesome news story. Like, were, were they ever shooting for IPO? I don't know. But I think... There's no shame in that outcome. It's an incredible outcome. I just wonder whether as an industry we get distracted by the sexiness of an IPO and maybe we just need to inject a little more realism because actually is the IPO, is that going to create greater impact if we have more IPOs? I don't think so because we exist in a space that is driven by impact and purpose. And yes, that like, that has to be funded that that there has to be revenue there has to be profitability there has to be all of those things there has to be the commercial drivers still in order to be able to have that impact i just don't think that ipo increases our chance of impact and gives us greater purpose i think it actually distracts us um and it, the, you know the 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 proof is in the pudding where actually is it 
restricting our our potential for impact because of the the examples we've seen where it's not worked out. Anyway, that was my my rant, uh, Hugh. I don't know if you have a different view on this. No, I think you're absolutely right on it. I think IPO, it's just not feasible for it to be the sort of final um, angle or final goal of absolutely every company that takes VC funding. And I think quite a lot of the time it, it is that expectation of an IPO that pushes, um, that pushes, I guess, some of the more... Might be an ego issue for a, a lot of founders. I'm not saying every single one out there, but absolutely an ego thing for founders, and potentially something that uh, VCs come in and 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 very much support uh, that point. Not all VCs, obviously. We we love VCs, and it's uh, it's an incredibly important role in the health uh, health tech sector. But I think you're absolutely right that it cannot be IPO or bust. The numbers of startups that are founded uh, and, and build with with the backing of VCs that also fail is so significant. It's you know upwards of ninety percent that that take VC funding and then don't you know go out of business for some reason or fail for many other reasons. And there's so many options to exit that don't include an IPO that it seems it seems odd that that seems to, that is the main target for so many M&A I think is an absolutely reasonable output and I think you know we come into contact with a lot of startups we see a lot of the market and there are so many that you look at and think okay well honestly you probably make more sense as a part of someone else's product or as a part of someone else's company or as a service line supported by that so i think MA is a natural op- option for this if if i was to differ in one place i think it's that i do agree with um kai's article in a certain places that the the, the fire sale concern is absolutely a worry for 2024 without that vc funding in place to keep Perhaps the companies that aren't going for IPO, but uh, but are still kind of building, still finding their benefit, finding their product market fit, and potentially could stand on their own. You might see companies that might otherwise have survived or even thrived uh, if VCs were hadn't been put off by kind of the bigger failings of IPO. Now going on the cheap, I think is the uh, is the term that Kai used. So I think that that is a, is a possible concern I will hold, and I think it will be sad to see some potentially quite innovative, quite interesting, quite exciting companies be acquired before their time. So I think that'll be the that'll be the thing to watch for 2024 for me. Yeah. I definitely hear what you're saying there, that, you know, there is something about I can understand why that would be frustrating across the board for where companies get acquired before they almost reach their potential as a standalone. But just go with me on this for a minute and I might be girl mathing too hard. But Understanding that from the VC funding model, of course, you know, IPO is a fantastic end game. And the potential reward of that could be huge. And we know that the odds of that are slim, but the whole idea is that you maybe pick one or two that absolutely smash it out of the park and you get your returns on the basis that you get less returns or if any, maybe across the rest of your portfolio. However, if it wasn't IPO, if it, if the end game was M&A, and I guess the, the barrier to success is then more accessible, you could have more of those payouts. And then surely that brings greater return because the likelihood of success is greater. 
and maybe maybe I'm just being super naive here, and maybe maybe that is what is already happening. But I just think surely if you nurture companies to achieve what is achievable or more achievable, your returns are going to be greater rather than pushing for something that is maybe for most companies going to be out of reach or just end in implosion. I don't know. So I think we might be saying the same thing. If I'm hearing you, it's that maybe the, the people who do fund and the people who do back these companies should be should be pushing them, to, well, not pushing them, but helping them with M&A as the end goal, not rather than IPO. Mm, yeah. And and the funding should reflect that. It's, it shouldn't be about their chance of IPO. It should be about their chance of a suitable and appropriate exit. Um, yeah. Whether that's M&A. Yeah. No, absolutely. I'm, I'm completely on board with that. Mm. Yeah. I mean, and when I say it out loud, it sounds obvious. So I, as I say, I don't know whether, whether that just shows my ignorance and that is just normal and what's happening. Or maybe I'm just onto something. Maybe I should raise my own maybe. fund. Maybe, maybe, that, maybe that's I what I should time. do. A fund with a foundation of girl math. I think I, I really could be onto something there. And I, I, see, I see no pitfalls in that plan. It's not a thought through, thought through plan, but I think it could work. Anyway, moving on from that. Okay, so I just want to talk about the the general catalyst and summer health story and it's not i don't want to talk about the fundraising maybe i do like it's a great news story however the article this article is in fierce healthcare and opening it i immediately had a complete heart heart sink moment because the image at the top of the article is for middle-aged men now the md of general catalyst has been interviewed about this process and this story multiple times general catalyst has a female md why why is there no representation here and i don't it shouldn't be tokenistic don't just put a woman in a picture to make it feel more balanced like but do like we have to be doing better like why is this still happening and why is that still okay like publications need to do better prs need to do better like what why are we putting forward pictures like this and it's not like it's two people, it's four people. And there is like almost no representation here. And the, the part of the challenge is, particularly when we're talking about finance and VC, we know how little representation there is for diverse communities, for, for female investors, and particularly at the table, the decision-making table where checks are being written. And we know that that is a huge factor in why we see so little deal flow into companies that are founded by women and founders from a diverse background. We know that. And it's just so frustrating because when you see stuff like this, it really perpetuates that issue. And I just, we need to do better in 2024. It's so frustrating and it is representative of the reality, maybe. Like I said, I don't think we should just be putting people into pictures to make up numbers i don't think it's that but when like there have been people who have been involved in this process they should be featured here and i just it's grinding my gears it really is q am i being unreasonable here i don't think you are i think you know given how many people are involved in a deal like this and the implications it has not just for 
um, each of the parties, General Catalyst and uh, Sumer, uh, Sumer Health, but also for the, the companies that they're going to work with, also for the patients that um, rely on the Sumer Healthcare. I think representation absolutely matters and demonstrating a commitment and the involvement um, and that these, you know, that the representation is a consideration in the, in the work they do, I think is really important. But the ramifications aren't just the deal. They're um, how how everyone can see themselves represented in the intentions of, of what's going on. And I think particularly with something like this, which is a f- truly first of its kind approach, the acquisition of a non-profit um, health system in the US that serves a, you know, a fairly diverse population by a venture capital firm and, and one of the largest venture capital firms. I think it would be it prudent to demonstrate that this does take, you know, that the representation matters and that, you know, diversity matters in this as well. And that we're capturing that from the very beginning. Otherwise, I think not just as a, not just as a, a challenge for, you know, will will the will it work? But also a sort of reassurance to those the people, the new system. Well, the new uh, soon to be not non profit system will serve. Um, it's quite important. Well, that brings me on to another rant, and then I promise I'll stop ranting and leave you all alone <laughs> for another week until I conjure up a few more rants to bring next week. But an interesting build on this is. For those of us who are in the UK, this week, the Financial Conduct Authority announced that it's changing the thresholds for the classification of angel and sophisticated investors and the classification of high net worth individuals. And what that ultimately means is the thresholds are being increased in terms of the earnings that you have to have or the assets you have to have. Um, So from the 1st of February, as a high net worth individual, you have to earn £170,000 per annum or have net assets of £430,000. And to be a sophisticated investor, you have to be a director of a company with a turnover of £1.6 Now, essentially, what this means is that So how this connects to the last story is that we know, as I said before, that there is a very, very limited amount of capital that gets deployed into companies from companies led by diverse founders. And we know that that is a direct result of uh, representation at the decision making level. Lots of those companies get their funding, particularly early on from angel investors and, you know, high net worth individuals, but angel investors. And by increasing these thresholds, you're cutting out a huge number of people who would qualify as a high net worth individual or a sophisticated investor to be able to invest in companies that will probably struggle to access funding from VCs. And We know that women are more likely to invest in female-founded companies, for example. And so where you're already struggling to access capital, they're just making it even harder. And I mean, it's so frustrating. Hugh, you had a look into, you know, what what you have to, I guess, the criteria for being an angel investor and the protections that it gives you. What does that that look like? Can you explain that to us for the less educated people in the room such as myself 
most importantly. So, yeah, I confess before this story broke, I, you know, wasn't an expert in the regulatory uh, framework for angel investing in the UK. In fact, I wasn't aware that um, there were actually requirements about it. But, uh, yeah, having done a, a bit of a deep dive this week to find out, you know, what's going on, it's 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 crazy to me. Well, it's not crazy. It's it's very sensible. But um, the so the FCA have captured um, a requirement to self-certify as either a high net worth or sophisticated investor in order to be eligible to make angel investments in companies. And, and this is all captured within the Financial Services Markets Act. But um, and, and what it gives you if you do self-certify is um, entitlement to receive business plans, make investments through your own decision. Um, it's only a self-certification, but in order to qualify from beginning of next month, um, you must earn 170000 a year or have net assets of, of 430000 um, or And to be a sophisticated investor, you must be a director of a company with a turnover of $1.6 So, you know, these are quite significant requirements that are going to preclude quite a lot of people from um, eligibility to be an angel investor. Um, and... Uh, credit uh, where it's due. Um, there's, there's, there are others who have looked into this, and I think you can find quite a lot of information on this. It uh, it feels like a particularly poor decision um, from the FCA to make uh, a, a sweeping judgment on angel investors at the moment that could preclude um, a huge amount of female investors from becoming uh, self-certifying as angel investors, where in a, in a wholly other uh, a wholly different area of FCA um, corporate governance work. They're looking at pushing board uh, the uh, FTSE companies to uh, push for more diversity on their boards and looking at requirements as part of that. So it feels in a kind of from a diversity point of view as if the FCA is giving with one hand and taking with another. So I think in the implications are particularly poor for the ventures uh, sector, particularly angel investing. It it really makes me wonder and. I do not know what the demographic makeup is of the decision makers who were charged with coming to this decision and putting together, you know, this new list of criteria. I would hazard a guess, though, that maybe if there was better representation, um, regardless of how that that the representation looks right now, but if there was better representation, the outcome might look a bit different and someone might have flagged something like this earlier. I'd also be interested to, and I'm sure this exists, I haven't done my research and I really should before probably talking on this topic or any others like it. I would like to see kind of the economic data around the rationale for making this decision or the decisions like this um, and how they've done that kind of risk analysis for the impact on i guess different different industries different sectors different types of company and the economy as a whole like they they obviously must have done something to decide that there was going to be a net positive but i yeah maybe i need to go in and have a look at that but i just when you when you look at it on face value appreciating with limited context it sounds a little bit balmy and it's difficult to see how they reach a conclusion like that. Um, but if anyone feels uh, as energised and uh, frustrated as I do, and many others like me, uh, there is a petition that you can sign for uh, the government to reconsider it. Uh, I think you can just Google it. I can't remember where it is, but you can, I'm, you'll be able to Google it and find it. Um, put your name down. Maybe it'll make a difference. We can, but try. Sign it quickly. We only have four days. Yes, sign quickly. Go. 
Run, don't walk, people. Run, don't walk. All right, well, I am going to spend the next week getting down off my high horse um, so that I'm much more zen next week. James will be back to temper or maybe fuel the fire. I don't know. He's busy doing things down a mountain this week. But I hope you enjoyed chatting to Hugh and I. But I wanted to remind you that Health Tech Podcast Live, there are still tickets available. 29th of February, the iconic BFI. I am so excited to be in that location. That venue is so cool. Um, but yes, there are tickets still available. There is a discount code in the newsletter. I'm not going to say out loud what it is because I will sound absurd. You'll see why when you see the code. Um, but if you would like a discount off your ticket, we would love to see you there. There'll be some awesome goodie bags. And oh, I should tell you who's speaking. The amazing Dr. Helen O'Neill. Obviously talking on my favourite topic, women's health. Uh, yeah, we're going to go there. Um, I'm sure James is really thrilled to get down into uh, that topic again. And also Dr. Karen Rajan, who, for those of you who don't know, is a surgeon and social media influencer that has amassed a huge 8 million followers across TikTok, YouTube, Instagram, all of the above and everything in between. And he takes great pleasure in busting health myths and has somehow, between operating on people and creating TikToks, found the time to write a number one Sunday Times bestseller. Uh, and that is making me feel tired just thinking about it. So yeah, you should definitely come. They're great. It's going to be great. It's going to be really fun. And there's a great goodie bag. Remind me of what the uh, code is, Jessica. Cool, cool, 40. <laughs> Fantastic. Oh, if that makes it into the final cut, then I'm sorry to the listeners. I will never do that again. <laughs> Absolutely don't miss Health Tech Podcast Live. It's going to be great. It's going to be as energised as this podcast was today. Absolutely no doubt with the guests we have. Uh, we're looking forward to seeing you all there. Thank you so much for joining us uh, for the Health Tech Pigeon Podcast this week. Uh, we'll be back next week, but you can find all of the stories plus more some of the best podcasts, events, and jobs in health tech at healthtechpigeon.com. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. Bye.